We all know being healthy can bring many good things to your personal and professional life, but keep your body optimized in the prime condition can be tough. In today's episode, we will review the top six things you should know as a healthcare entrepreneur to sustain your success and accelerate your growth. Healthcare entrepreneurs, are you ready to rewrite the rules for your business so you can have more time off, a great team, and more income while creating a positive social impact? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Provider's Edge. I'm your host, Sabrina Rombach. I'm a provider, an international peak performance keynote speaker, and a best-selling author. Let's open the gateway to profitability for you today. My guests and I help healthcare entrepreneurs and startup founders like you break through barriers so you can control your business, control your life, and control your future. This is your defining moment to be a disruptor in healthcare. Welcome to another episode of the Provider's Edge. I'm your host, Sabrina Rombach. And today we have Dr. Jay here. He is a physician associate and the owner and head clinician at Nevada Family Psychiatry in Las Vegas, Nevada. I actually have a bunch of meetings in there. So next time I'm in town, I'll definitely connect with you. In I would love to. Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. Awesome. And he published in scientific journals and done international lectures on mental illnesses, professional fulfillment and nutrition in mental health conditions since he graduated back in 1998. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Sabrina. It is a true honor to be here and presenting. I love that to feature healthcare professional who go beyond what we do clinically, because we know at the end of the day, yes, we can create the impact on a day-to-day basis when patients come in to see us, but it's a lot more than that. Especially those like yourself have the bravery of running your own practice. There's a lot more hats that you're wearing. And then it's exciting to see that people are able to take on those roles and be a leader in the healthcare space and take their own community in a way that you know how to best support them. So I uh, want to know where did you come up with the passion or what was the drive initially for you to step into healthcare and be MPA? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I feel honored first to be here. I mean, the people that you've had on, on the Provider's Edge podcast have really been an inspiration to me as well. You know, it's funny. I mean, my story is probably similar to a lot of theirs, which is that I, you know, kind of wanted a, a field in medicine that allowed me to kind of choose my own direction, allowed me to work lots of different shifts, allowed me to make a good living for myself and my family. And, you know, I was in my early 20s, kind of out of college. I actually, my undergrad was in philosophy and performing arts. So uh, not at all a science field. <laughs> Believe me, if you went back to high school, I think you, you couldn't have convinced me that I ever would have gone into a science for my career. But I kind of found my own niche in that. And, 
you know, I found out about the PA profession. My, I have several people who are nurses in my family. My mother is a PhD in nursing and retired about 10, 15 years ago, but, you know, largely administrative work. But, uh, you know, they kind of told me about the PA profession that was kind of really growing in the in the 90s, especially. And so I ended up going into school in, in uh, 96. And that was really new. I was in Illinois at the time. And it was, you know, there were three PA schools there. So, you know, it's amazing how much it's expanded in that time. But, you know, I really love the idea of being able to move my career forward, be able to work in the health field. And I had no concept, really. I mean, it was funny, you know, now these days, everybody has to rotate and and spend time with a PA. The reality is there were only like 300 PAs in the state when I went to school. And uh, there still aren't very many in Illinois, although it's, it's gotten quite a bit bigger, but it's still one of the smaller states. But, you know, I couldn't find a PA to, to save my life to try and find. So I ended up spending time with nurse practitioners and doctors. But, you know, really, it's been everything that I could have imagined and more and given me a great lifestyle and allowed me to, to do a lot for, for my community and for my family. So I, I feel truly blessed. Yeah, I think that's the amazing part is we all formulate where we need to be and it's the right time, right place. And we take on that path and we own it. And I also had a bachelor in art in music, but my other half is on neuroscience. So I remember my senior year, I did my thesis on music therapy, uh, just so I can combine the neuroscience yeah. part and then the music side. So it was fun. I think when we're in that younger state of figuring things out. And even nowadays, there are medical school and PA school that they have combined uh, shorter track programs. Mm -hmm. uh, it definitely is changing how we see uh, education altogether in the field. And uh, as you're stepping into these roles, at what point did you feel like, hey, I really truly want to own the practice myself and then it's the right time or right resources that, for you to pivot out? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, you know, I've certainly talked to a lot of other PAs and nurse practitioners and other medical professionals about kind of when that time is right for that individual. You know, PA ownership of businesses is still relatively small. Some of that is just that it's limited by state law and, and other issues, insurance reimbursement and, you know, how you can create credentials and things like that. But, you know, for me, I guess I've really had a strong sense of individuality you know, probably comes, they, they always say that only children are, uh, you know, particularly uh, <laughs> kind of you know, wanting to be self-sufficient. And that definitely, uh, you know, fit me to a T. I always wanted to be able to kind of do my own thing. And after, you know, several years in medicine, I realized that so much of what I wanted to do, you know, was kind of dictated by the employer that I worked for, the hospital system, the, the physician that I worked for, especially as a new grad. And, you know, I really wanted to be able to make those choices myself while still having the support that PAs can have through their supervising physician and their, you know, collaborative environment that they find themselves in. You know, nobody works alone anymore. So being able to, to leverage that and the knowledge with other people and to know when I needed help, right? We don't need to be doing it all by ourselves. So, you know, through that time, I kind of started part-time doing my own work for a couple of days a week. And then gradually over, you know, the next several years kind of did that starting full-time. You know, I don't know that there's ever really a right answer, but for me, especially I was in family practice when I started for about three or four years and then moved into psychiatry. Psychiatry is particularly beneficial and I think adaptive to business ownership for PAs and, and for that matter for NPs. You know, it really lends itself to a good collaboration between lots of different health professionals. 
and therapists and, and other groups, while at the same time making it you know low barrier of entry. There's not a lot of equipment and other things that you can have. And it also just really met my needs as far as what I wanted to accomplish in medicine. You know, being that I had a philosophy degree to begin with, it's like you know we always joke about the big questions, right? It's all that's kind of what our our life is in philosophy. But really, that's what we do in psychiatry too. Right. We're talking about big issues, you know, purposefulness and meaning and quality of life and why we're alive and what happiness is. Right. And we're trying to figure that out in a collaborative relationship with our patients. I think, you know, my own mental health has always been a really, really important thing. I have to, you know, shout out to you. I mean, the Providers Edge podcast has done such really great work with other people on professional fulfillment and burnout and stress and talking to people. I mean, we are in an environment where, especially the past 10 years, we've really begun to recognize the impact that that has, right? And so, you know, that has been really important for me too, to say, you know what, I don't need to make a lot of money right now. It's more important for me to have a good quality of life, to be able to be there for my family. I can go to my son's dance things. I can go, you know, spend time and and take vacations and not feel guilty. And I think that's what we all want, right? I mean, that's kind of why we, especially with PAs and NPs, you know, they wanted to be able to have that balance. And that's just so important. I think that's a great point. Also bring up, not even just in the current era, that's also a generational movement into, especially the younger generation. We see it as a, oh, perhaps they're not wanting to work as much, but that's not it. It's that we start seeing different value in what life means to us. And career is just one of those 10 pillars. So it's about finding out what are the ways that are sustainable for us. So for you, are you in still, like, do you have a clinic? Do you have virtual? Uh, How does that work for you right now? Sure. You know, I've had a, a clinic for a long time, 15, 16 years. The pandemic clearly has changed a lot of that. I still have a clinic and I still see people, you know, about two days a week there. But I do a lot of virtual visits now, and I also contract out services. My company contracts out to other private practices, to therapy groups that have people that they want to see for psychiatry. So I'll work with them as well, some of them on a weekly basis, some you know every other week or once a month or something like that to see their patients, depending on how many patients they have. But yeah, I am still kind of doing it. So it's still a lot of hybrid that's working right now. I mean, one of the advantages of psychiatry, although I know it's happening in lots of other fields, but psychiatry is particularly adapt to video times, right? I mean, it's good to get a blood pressure and a weight on clients. And I do that a lot, but you know, we don't need to listen to their heart and the lungs. We don't, we're not doing an elaborate physical exam. So, so much of it is just really connection between people and making sure that we're listening to issues that are important to them and then working on those. Right. And so, yeah, so that's been that's been really good. Yeah, I was just at a primary care consortium in the state of Texas. And something that we talked about is that connection of bridging the mental health side into the primary care and then closing that loop altogether. And we have been seeing is various different digital health solutions. So whether you're using remote uh, biometric monitoring, which is now the same as your chronic disease versus your telemedicine, where you can be hopping on as a mental health visit versus like medical consultation, right? And then that can be an interface. Are you also doing some of that with uh, remote monitoring, disease management type of work as well? You know, I'm not doing it yet. As far as I know, there's some kind of preliminary research coming out on looking at 
how people move and things like that, especially with movement disorders, Parkinson's and things like that, Alzheimer's, dementia. I haven't heard a lot of great research on depression and anxiety as far as remote monitoring. So, you know, a lot of chronic diseases and I end up doing, because of my family practice background, I do end up, I don't manage those chronic diseases, but I do end up screening for them and talking to people a lot about that. You know, one of my other passions besides, you know, kind of healthcare professional burnout and professional fulfillment is also talking about diet and the role in mental health, but also in physical health, right? I mean, it's all the same. You know, I think that one of the biggest things that's happened in the past 24 years since I graduated, but it was kind of ongoing starting in the, in the 90s and 80s, is, you know, the brain and the body are connected, right? We say that pretty obviously now, but it was really the paradigm that, well, you had a physical problem or you had a mental problem, right? But those things aren't separated, right? The brain is communicating constantly with the body and vice versa, right? Through, you know, hormones and inflammatory cytokines and all these neurochemicals, right? So we need to understand that everything that we do affects every system in our body. And if you have an out of control blood pressure or diabetes, or you have cancer or you have chronic pain, of course, that's going to affect your mental health. It's going to affect your sleeping. It's going to affect your hormones, right? So being able to, to pay attention to that, screen for that, talk to people about the role of diet, talk to people about what that means. I mean, everybody's concerned about losing weight. Of course, we use that as the kind of paradigm in America, right? Oh yeah, yeah, you know, you're losing weight. Um, but that, that doesn't particularly matter. I know that that's sacrilegious to say, but you know, in the end, we need to live better, right? We don't, I always tell people, it doesn't matter if you live to 150, if the last hundred of them are miserable, right? I mean, it's like, why are we trying to do all these things with quantity of life when the whole point is we want to live better, right? It would be nice if we didn't die at 52, you know, but we want to live better for longer. We want to be able to spend time with our kids and grandkids. We want to be able to enjoy retirement. We want to feel good and not be in pain and not have Alzheimer's and not have Parkinson's and not have diabetes or can't climb up the stairs. Right. So those things all impact psychiatry and mental health. And that's really what I'm, you know, really passionate about. Right. There's a lot of interfaces between our diet, our physical activity, because we know, um, it, yes, there's a lot of neurological issues that cause us to be less fit. Yes, we can always say, oh, we have to have this X, Y, Z plan, but we adapt into what we can do. Same thing with our diet. There are even from a functional medicine standpoint, people even talk about your blood type into your digestion, running full panels that we typically typically don't do a lot in the traditional primary care sense. So there are multiple different components on our gut health that has, we know serotonin in there has a lot more, right, in, the, in our brain. So for back in school days, right, or any stressful moment, I know all of us have that gut feeling, the crunch. Well, like that's same thing as how our patients, especially when they are having more of a, a mental fitness Concern to be able to address how we eat really affecting everything in our life, not just the obesity pandemic that we're facing or the coronary artery disease that they really should be addressing, but so many more things. And I love that you're adding different components of wellness and holistic care into mental health as well. Eating healthy food is important for both our body and mind. Eating the right type of food can keep us strong and prevent sickness. There are lots of options that you can have since many fats 
of different type of diet plans are out there. However, only certain type are actually right to fit your body. Our minds are also being helped by eating the right type of vegetable, whole grains, lean meats, food that you choose, and eating junk food can make our brain not work as well and can even make us feel sad and worry. Therefore, make sure you know what are you actually putting in your mouth. The good fish, nuts, leafy greens make your brain work better and make us happier and calmer. We should try to make the right choices every day, especially as healthcare professionals. So just wondering, how many patients are you uh, seeing on a daily basis now? Um, I would say I typically see about 15, maybe something like that. It depends, uh, depending on you know how much I'm working that day. But I would say somewhere between 12 and 15 is about average. So yeah, and it's kind of a combination. Obviously, all my patients are, are mental health focused, but a lot of times we'll focus you know more on diet and other things like that. I mean, I don't think those things are independent. I mean, you know, the thing about a healthier diet is you know we we don't just live longer, but we we die less painfully too, right? I mean, the the point is we're not trying to live forever. What we're trying to do is to address issues of quality of life. Everybody wants those things, right? I mean. A long, long time ago, we recognized the impact that tobacco had on our health, right? But 50, 60 years ago, that wasn't the case, right? I mean, that tobacco was outed as the killer that it was, you know, a long time ago. But somehow we're still serving bacon at medical conferences, right? Because nobody thinks that that's healthy for us, right? And yet we're still kind of saying, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, every once in a while, right? But we don't think that about cigarettes anymore. We don't think like one or two cigarettes a day is okay. Right. So, you know, we constantly have to be addressing these things and realizing that there's a real biological drive for these things. Right. There's a real, you know, component of that that our body has been working on for tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years. You know, if you came across a donut 10,000 years ago, you better eat it. Right. I mean, because you weren't going to come across that again and you were walking 20 or 30 miles a day. Right. So trying to understand how our bodies and our lives and the demands on us have changed, really, especially over the past hundred years, but especially over the past couple thousand years. Right. And yet our brain hasn't changed very much at all. Right. As far as how it works, how it's wired, how we respond to stress and danger and anxiety, all those things are wired in there. And unlike cigarettes, which we can completely stop and never need again, everybody has to eat. Right. We all have to have that drive. And so then the question is, what do we eat, right? I mean, the CDC says that a third of all deaths in the United States are due to diet-related conditions, a third, right? I mean, those are hundreds of millions of people, you know, certainly worldwide that are dying every day from heart disease and diabetes and, you know, obesity-related things, you know, right? All these things, not to mention all the cancers that are diet-related. So if we can talk to people about these things, a lot of times I'll, I'll talk to people and they say, well, I thought you were in psychiatry. But to me, Thinking that psychiatry is just about people who are depressed or anxious or schizophrenia or having bipolar disorder is missing the point, right? Psychiatry, just like family practice, just like every other field of medicine, is about addressing our patients' needs, right? It's about quality of life. What are people, what do people care about, right? Identifying that, addressing that, moving those people forward on their journey, that is the point, 
right? And it's great to be, you know, less anxious or less depressed. But if we end up dying at 65 of a heart attack or stroke, I don't know that I've done anybody any favors, right? Not to mention that you suffer before that. So, you know, really addressing that. And we're starting to understand so much about that now. You mentioned gut bacteria, but, you know, that's just part of it, right? I mean, inflammatory cytokines, how we're metabolizing certain medicines, right? The genetics and the epigenetics associated with, you know, our environment and our food and stress level and sleep level, right? All these things play a huge, huge impact. So I talk to people a lot about that. And I think it's, it's really, really important. I mean, I think we're missing part of that in medicine. We're we're kind of staying in our own little lane, but I don't know what our lane is, right? I mean, we're in healthcare, right? And that's what we're supposed to be addressing. Right. It's about integration. At the end of the day, we can even apply those to our own life. Yeah. Are we living for what purpose and what's that big mission that we're going after? And yes, there nowadays we talk about biohacking even. Now, uh, some of those activities, uh, treatments, uh, whatnot are for people cash paid. So that means people can actually need to be able to afford that. So are we doing that as providers for ourselves, uh, recommending for our patient? But what about all the underserved, underinsured, then they can't even get basic care because they keep running to the ER just for that one thing. And perhaps they do see you in a clinic, but they can be lost in follow-up for the past three years. You have no idea what's happening with them or you have no staff to be able to reach out to them to close that loop. So I know thinking about quality of life for us is very important to be able to sustain the practice so we can provide the care and serve our community. So we don't do that alone and I'm sure you don't either. So Jake, how many people are on your team nowadays on the, just to keep uh, workflow wise? Yeah, you know, I, I have a really small team. Um, I typically work with two other people and they're both staff members, they're not clinicians. Um, so, you know, I, I have intentionally kind of kept it really small. Another one of the components, I realized that a lot of the people you work with are growing big teams and, and doing lots of things. And I know that's part of, of the focus that you provide with, with, you know, business uh, counseling and, and obviously the, the work that you've done with expanding, you know, the outreach that you've done has, has been incredible. I've kind of decided that I'm really happy in my little corner of the world. Uh, I would love to be able to expand this to other people, obviously. And part of that is leverage. But I've always had to kind of balance out my own mental health and my own time needs with, you know, what I have available to me. And so, you know, I think that there are amazing people doing some great work on nutrition and mental health. There's some interesting work being done on burnout. I just completed a doctorate in health science. And part of my work was on burnout. And I'd love to be able to do more research. I'm trying to publish my, my uh, kind of dissertation work at this point on professional fulfillment and PAs and how that affects stress and anxiety and depression. You know, I think that is a field that really needs to be kind of pushed. I've also wanted to do a lot of things. You know, I, I guess I, I would say that I, I'm one of those people that I guess kind of gets bored easily. And so I, I've always wanted to do lots of different things. I, I like to have my hands in a lot of different pies. And while at the same time realizing that I have to have the balance of being able to spend time with my family and be able to read and be able to get good sleep and, you know, all those other things. And I think that's a that's a tricky proposition for a lot of people to do, because, you know, like you said, it's work and career is only one of the 10 pillars. Right. So it's like we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves while we address the fact that work is really important. Right. I mean, that's a really important part of our life, but it's not everything. Right. And it's certainly not 50 percent, you know, and I think that that's hard. So. So, yeah, I've, I've kept that really minimal. You know, I think that 
you know, we'll see what the next, you know, several years brings with that. I think that leveraging the passion that I have for the interest that I have is really important, but I want to make sure to do that in a way that actually allows me to maintain control over the quality of that, while at the same time making sure that I'm doing okay myself. And I think we, you know, a lot of times we lose track of that when we when we move too fast. Integration is a major point in terms of healthcare quality, and it's impacting on our lives. The need to consider the underserved and underinsured when providing care is an important part of our discussion. Jay has a small team, but is open to expanding. He has done extensive research and has a doctor degree where he studied burned out mental health and substance abuse. He wants to focus on those aspects while still maintaining his clinical work. Leveraging his research and knowledge of nutrition and its effects on mental health is his primary focus. As he explores and advances his career, he sees teaching will also become part of his life in the next 5 to 20 years. All of these components, when combined, will help Jay to provide quality health care and maintain his own mental health as a provider and business owner. So I've always been on a more of a slow and steady wins the race kind of thing. Yeah, at the end of the day, we have to find out what works best for us. It can be just that small team because it's core. You already have synergy. You don't need an extra. And then we just have to contract out perhaps for the marketing side, for the billing side, for the additional ancillary back admin side. But we don't have to be so involved with everybody, everything to think about growth and scaling. And of course, we all are in a place like yourself, healthcare leaders are so good at getting things done and so good about coming up with ideas and wanting to be in a lot of different places. And so which area do you feel like that you are focusing on to up level right now? You know, right now I'm really focusing on the research component burnout, probably because I literally just graduated in May. So, you know, the past, you know, four months or so have really been about trying to update the research, make sure that I'm looking at the the various components. You know, we're looking at the difference between professional fulfillment, burnout, depression, anxiety, stress, certainly COVID and how that's changed a huge amount of things. And I already know that it's increased, you know, mental health and substance abuse just amazing amounts. I and mean, there's really interesting data coming out of the CDC and the, and the World Health Organization on, on all of those things. But, you know, trying to focus on that is really important. But I also realized that I want to leverage that with, with nutrition, with mental health. You know, it's kind of a different thing. So I'm kind of trying to do it all, I guess, is what it is. So we'll see what happens over the next, you know, six months or a year. I'm not a faculty member, so uh, I don't have a connection with a university right now. I think probably teaching will become more part of my life over the next, you know, five years or so. I don't think I'll ever become full time in that area because I love what I do on the clinical side. I love being able to see patients and be able to talk with them and do that. So I, I would hate to lose that. But I realized that, you know, as I look at the next 10 to 20 years until I retire, I want to be able to leverage some of the skills and the the things that I've learned through my doctorate. Yeah, definitely a lot of research out there, but now many just specific focus on the PAs and MPs. Those are advanced practitioners. Most of them are just the nursing or just the physician side. So uh, looking into what you have researched, that's so important. 
Uh, I know we can talk about for hours and, uh, and it's such an interesting topic. And uh, I know people would want to hear more from you. So how can they connect with you or check uh, your website? Uh, what's the best way? Sure. Probably through my website. I can also give you my email as well. The website is just psychiatry.vegas. So you can put in www.psychiatry.vegas and that goes up and there's a connection right through there. But you can also reach out to me directly. My direct email is j-s-o-m-e-r-s at psychiatry.vegas. So just my last name, S-O-M-E-R-S with a J in front of it. And yeah, that's the easiest way. And I check that all the time and and connect with a lot of people throughout the country, really trying to work with nurse practitioners and PAs on this burnout issue, because clearly it's affecting everybody. You know, there's some great work done and the nurses have done so much of a better job, I think, unfortunately, than PAs. I mean, there are a lot more of them, but, you know, really worked out into the burnout and looking at the impact of that. But I think we really need to work as advanced practice providers on addressing this issue because it's not it's not getting better. And I think a lot of it is just, again, focusing on our quality of life. It's so hard when so many people need us, right? I mean, the need is so great. We have such a deficiency of, of all healthcare providers, but especially mental health providers in this country in so many other areas that we need to be able to, to reach out and expand that so we really address those things. But I think it's also about realizing that, you know, every provider, you know, and this sounds trite, but every, every provider is a mental health provider, right? I mean, everything that you do in, in healthcare has in some way to do with mental health, right? You may think that if you're in orthopedics or dermatology or OBGYN or family, that that isn't the case. But even in surgery, right? I mean, people are scared, people are in pain, people have inflammation. That affects mental health. It affects sleeping, it affects gut bacteria, it affects neurochemical production, right? And it affects our quality of life. So, you know, just because we don't have, you know, another medicine to give people doesn't mean we can't address their needs. So making sure that we're we're doing that, and I would love to be able to leverage, you know, other people and their work and the research that they're doing and just interest uh, in a community, because I think that's that's how we're going to succeed, right? That's how we're going to refocus and rebuild healthcare from the system we have now into something that's going to get us to, to the next generation and really address providers' needs, make sure we're not burning out, and patient needs to make sure we're we're leveraging all the skills and talents that we have to help them. Yeah, exactly. So correct. Uh, we know at the end of the day, there's a lot of things we want to do, a lot of things other people expect us to do, plus what we wanted to pour out. So it can be a lot of decision fatigue. And then I'll come back on how you make that decision. How do you perceive the problem? And I love for you guys to stay in touch. And uh, we thank you for being here with us. And until next time. All right. Thanks a lot, Sabrina. In today's episode, we discuss the top six things you should know as a healthcare entrepreneur running your own practice and be able to maintain that mental health for yourself. If you're stay tuned to this episode, most likely you are looking to shift something around the way that you're doing business in order to create a different type of life for yourself. To recap, number one, being a PA can be a flexible and rewarding career where you work with other physician colleagues and together advance in patient care. And you can still be an owner of your own practice. The demand for PAs is increasing and they have a good job outlook. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 
The number of PA jobs will grow 31% from 2021 to 2030. The best time to become a PA is when you are ready to put time, effort, and money into your education, and when you want to make a positive impact in the healthcare field. Number two, psychiatry is a vital part of healthcare that helps. People with mental health diseases. Mental health are common. Earlier treatment can improve patients' lives. The work of psychiatrists makes a big difference in the lives of many people. They also help to reduce the shame and embarrassment that often comes with mental health issues. By providing good treatment and education, they can encourage patients to seek help. And get better sooner. Number three, chronic disease are illnesses that are long-lasting, that didn't come overnight, and therefore, diseases such as diabetes, heart disease, and cancer can be harder for some of our patients to deal with, especially when they're not feeling symptoms, and therefore, with telemedicine and remote monitoring. We can leverage technology to help patients to be in a more relaxed setting, such as their home, through the internet, and especially those who could not get to a physician's office or hospital easily. This is helpful for people, especially living far away, elderly, without personal transportation. Telemedicine can also save time. And money for those who couldn't take time off work. That's why telemedicine is a good way to help people with chronic diseases and better able to monitor and proactively serve them when needed. Number four, inflammatory cytokinesis and neurochemicals are important chemicals in our body that keep us healthy. Inflammatory cytokines. Are made by our immune system to help us fight off sicknesses and injury. Neurochemicals are made by our nervous system and help our brain and body communicate with each other. If these chemicals get out of balance, they can cause problems like inflammation, depression, anxiety, and other health issues. That's why it's important to understand these chemicals. And how they work. With this knowledge, doctors can develop better treatment plans for patients who are ill. Number five, pain, stress, fear, and all this can caused by inflammatory changes and neurochemistry imbalance. To overcome them, we need to focus on how to relax our mind and body by doing deep breathing and meditation. And there are other methods as well, such as cold water plunge, sauna, etc. Get moving with exercise, which can also help reduce stress and inflammation. Eat healthy food, and get plenty of sleep to help heal your body and manage pain. Talk to someone you trust about your feelings and、um, seek. A therapist or a physician for help when needed. Number six, the brain and the body are connected. 
This means that what happens in your body affects your brain, and what happens in your brain affects your body. For example, if you exercise, it can make you feel better and smarter. If you stress, tired, or don't eat. Well, it can make you feel worse and not think clearly or be able to be focused on the tasks at hand. That's why taking care of both your body and mind is important for being healthy and happy. Everyone is different, so what works for one person might not work for you. But the most important thing is to take care of yourself and find what's. Helping you feeling better. Don't be afraid to try new things or ask for help if you need it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening to me right now, I bet that just like me, you like to change the conversation we're having in the healthcare industry. The positive change we're seeking starts right here with me and with you. I'd love to connect with you and hear about your struggles and successes in the healthcare industry. It matters to all of us. Please visit sabrinarombach.com/connect and send me a voice message or direct message. Talk soon. Hey everybody, I am Terry Britt, and let me tell you, I just had a fabulous interview with Sabrina Runbeck, and I've done a lot of interviews. Okay, over the years, I've been on both sides of the microphone, interviewing people and as well as being interviewed. She really gets the conversation. She understands. She's an incredible listener. We were talking about worthiness, and she really understands the concept of it, how it affects people in their businesses, in their clinics, in in their daily life, and their relationships. So I just want to encourage you to one listen to our show, but to jump on board and start listening to this woman because she has so much insight and wisdom that you don't want to miss out. Now. Open a browser on your phone or on your computer. Type in Sabrina Rumbeck. That's R U N B E C K dot com forward slash connect. Let's hear your story.